is Bloomberg Surveillance. A lot of policymakers are maybe looking to the IMF for a bit of a green light to move forward on fiscal policy. One of the things I think is interesting in the commodity space is this return of dispersion across the commodity market. There are a lot of people perhaps on the sidelines that could come back in and compete for jobs and compete for wages and keep inflation down. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. We have breaking headlines right now involving the future of many of our banks. Mike, this has been a topic that has been percolating as well. It's been out there. These are not new headlines, but for Global Wall Street, they say a lot. The Federal Reserve and the FDIC say five of our big banks lack a credible living will. None of that is in Steve Cicchetti's classic money and credit textbook. This was part of the Dodd-Frank bill that all of these banks were supposed to come up with so-called living wills. In other words, uh, if the bank is going to fail, here is how it is put together so regulators could wind it down. One of the problems with Lehman Brothers is regulators didn't understand the various components of the bank. They didn't realize where the money was, and that made things a whole lot worse. So they were supposed to come up with these living wills. Now the Fed and the FDIC are saying that Bank of New York, State Street, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo do not have credible living wills. The regulators are split, they say, on whether Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have acceptable uh, living wills. The only one that seems to have gotten a passing grade is Citigroup, although they must uh, address some shortcomings in the plan. So uh, this is going to be more work for the banks, and it probably and means we'll, we'll talk to Brad Hintz later. It probably means they got to set aside more money yeah. to, uh, to deal with it. This from a quote in the Wall Street Journal: J.P. Morgan, in its most recent living will, says its quote fortress balance sheet would absorb losses without needing to raise cash. That's about as living will as I need to hear. J.P. Morgan obviously out uh, yeah. in, in, in the forefront of headlines today because they are out with their earnings. According to the uh, regulators, J.P. Morgan lacks models for maintaining sufficient liquidity yeah. and inadequate, has inadequate divestiture options as well as lacking a plan for shrinking its trading activity. So there it is. We like to bring you important global Wall Street news as we can when it comes out across uh, the Bloomberg Terminal. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Cone Resnick, Accounting Tax Advisory Living Wills. Trust Cone Resnick for the strategy, the insight your business needs to move forward. Find out what Cone Resnick thinks and sign up for insight at coneresnick.com. C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. We now turn to Skip York. Uh, who gives us wisdom on oil? Do there need to be living wills for the big oil companies? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, does Exxon need to have a credible uh, will if they blow up? Well, you know, you could almost imagine uh, with the pressure for them to sort of audit themselves on climate change, then in some sense that's where some of the activist investors are pushing them. Is that if if the age of oil is over, then how are you going to yeah. wind down the business, and or what are you going to do next? Would you? And, and what's interesting here, and this, I'm serious question. I'm not trying to do a comedy act. The basic idea of a stress test factor, one factor, which says let's pretend oil moved from 100 to 29, or 100 to 40, that would be a credible major shock, right? 
It would be a, a, a major shock, and it would be a, it'd be a credible test. I mean, what you'll often see uh, in some of the earnings reports is that people will, in some of the SEC filings, many companies will tell you what a, you know, what a one, five, ten dollar swing in the oil price does to earnings or to or to profitability. Uh, but it doesn't give you what happens if you get a much bigger right. swing for a longer period of time. Mike, Exxon down 29%, rounded up to 30%, worst case, off the drop in oil. Well, today oil is lower. Everybody's looking for this big meeting that's supposed to happen uh, this weekend among the oil producers and some sort of agreement to freeze production, wink, wink. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody expects there to be an actual freeze. They just want to read the words. Well, I think, uh, you know, the phrase that everybody's using is the soft freeze. And uh, I think you have to start from the standpoint of how many of these countries, first of all, who's going to show up to the meeting? Uh, you know, Ron says that they, they're thinking pretty hard about not being there. But of the ones that do show up, who actually could increase production if they wanted to? And that's why it's a it's a soft freeze. I think that's the the notion of the soft freeze is that we're all going to f- agree to freeze our production at where we are now because we really can't move ourselves up if we wanted to. The only exception of probably the people who are going to attend will be would be the Saudis. Well, there is um, we have seen this interesting uh, move in prices higher since Saudi Arabia and Russia announced that there would be a a wink-wink freeze uh, a month or so ago. What happens if this doesn't happen? We see prices down a little bit today on concern that uh, it may not happen, but do we see a a major drop back into the 20s if if, uh, this meeting falls apart? I'm not sure if it's a major drop, but I think there's a you know there's downward pressure because the the market seems to be building in this expectation uh, that we're going to come out with some sort of positive statement. It's the same phenomenon that we've seen in the last three OPEC meetings, where the market sort of builds this momentum that OPEC's going to come out and say something about a production cut, and when they sort of say that they're going to keep everything the way it is, the market's you know, left, uh, you know, is disappointed by it that puts downward pressure on prices. I think if we don't get some sort of positive statement, then there's going to be downward pressure. Does it drive us back down into the low 30s? I think, yeah, I think the market kind of realizes the reality of whatever is going mm-hmm. to come out isn't that big of a swing if it doesn't happen. Everybody's got a view on terminal value. Jeff Curry at Goldman takes a cautious view, $55 with a tendency downward. You, you guys are in another world. You're in Texas. You're in the trenches. You've got a much more domestic view than maybe what Jeff Curry's doing. With that said, what's your terminal value, and is the tendency lower? You know, we think the the terminal value is probably closer to 80. Uh, See, that's think, a huge gap, Mike. It's a huge gap. We think what a lot of people are missing is the decline side of the equation. It, you know, if all you had to do was meet oil demand growth, then maybe $55 a barrel gets you there. But if you have to meet oil demand growth plus replacing uh, the decline in non-OPEC production that is going to happen organically – then you have to push into higher cost production modes. So are you saying we, we, within a free market, non-sovereign state uh, mix, the United States will be the responsible actor and won't bring back demand based on back, won't bring back supply based on price, and that will move the terminal value higher. Well, no, I think what will happen is we'll get, to the, we'll get to the limits of what the U.S. can do on the production growth side. Uh, you know, if you believe in a $55 world for a long period of time, 
you believe that U.S. production is going to go from, you know, about 8 million barrels a day, growing, you know, in excess of a million barrels a day every year for, say, the next 5 to 10 years. And we just don't think there's that much activity that can happen in the U.S. Mike, that's why I love this program. We get such intelligent, informed, different views. That and they pay you to be on it. There's that, too. (laughs) Good morning, Al. We do get get different views. Um, What's going to lead demand to drop is the is kind of the big question because uh, we've been expecting that for some time and uh, the consumer just seems to be hanging in there and even though the rest of the world has slowed and the U.S. is not going gangbusters, we're still seeing demand rise. We're we're still buying the U.S. is still buying a lot of gasoline and gasoline demand growth is still fairly strong. We thought that the growth that we saw in U.S. gasoline demand last year would sort of mute itself a bit because once consumers adopted to the lower gasoline prices that, you know, they would just right. – their driving habits would moderate. The drive towards buying more SUVs would moderate and growth would right. moderate. And we haven't seen that yet. We're going to go on Bloomberg surveillance as we always do to our John Tucker in New York with the New Jersey driving update. What's the price of gas? What's uh, the price per gallon? I'm sorry to say that it's up uh, in the 170s. The one, it's, it's risen from like a it's 150? Risen. Yeah. Has it changed your driving habits? The Hummer H2, is it being used less? Um, now driving uh, from 90 miles an hour on the turnpike down to 85 miles an hour. <laughs> Thank you, John Tucker. Just our garden state report. Skip York of Woodbeck, does that make you laugh when John Tucker says, sorry to report it's all the way up to 170? <laughs> You know what? What you know? What a dramatic change uh, from where we were. You know, if you just think back 18 months ago, the 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 chat was, "What's the U.S. consumer going to do when gasoline hits four dollars a gallon again?" And now here we are at, you know, a third of that. Uh, and you know, and it it is, it it'll be one of these phenomena that we think that I think we're going to see is we're going to see people act as if gasoline prices that they see today is the price they're going to see forever. Okay. And they've made purchase decisions that, in the future, they may say we can't really go with. John Tucker's Hummer, for one thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoops. Skip York with us. I want to come back and talk about that simple phrase of the moment. It's sort of like V-shaped X number of years ago. Lower for longer. We'll do that with Skip uh, York with Mackenzie with us on oil. This is great, folks. I mean, we go from Don Strasheim in China to Skip York on oil. I don't even know. We got Brad Hintz coming up on banking. Yeah. I mean, Mike, it's like we don't even have a job. Do they know we do this for free? Uh, don't tell them. <laughs> it's, it's like pitching for the Red Sox. Wait, their season's over. All right, let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Might be tougher to get a Verizon cable guy today. About 39,000 Verizon landline and cable workers on the East Coast have gone on strike. The workers' latest contract expired in August. Verizon says it is disappointed, but says it's trained thousands of non-union workers to fill in for the strikers. People in Columbia, South Carolina, will pack a Senate subcommittee hearing today on a bill that would force transgender people to use public bathrooms based on their biological gender. If you eat a lot of fast food, you probably have more industrial chemicals in your body. That's according to an analysis from Federal Nutrition Surveys. One of the chemicals is thylate that's used to make plastics more flexible and durable. The study was published in the journal Environmental Health Perspectives. Yummy. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. Yeah, Michael, thanks so much. Lots going on. Coming up, we'll look at lower for longer. It's the new V-shaped, at least in the commodity space. 
Green on the screen. Green on the banking screen as well. Brad Hinslater, Skip York Now on Oil, Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update brought to you by SSNC. More experience, superior technology, independence, and expertise. That's how SSNC drives the future of fund administration. SSNC, they are the future of fund administration. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are rising this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. U.S. stock futures are pointing to a higher open following yesterday's gains. Dow futures currently higher by 86 points. S&P's gain 11 and NASDAQ futures rise by 31. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.79%. Overnight in Asia, the Nikkei rose 2.8%. China had better than expected export data. While European markets are also rising, led by 4% gains in Italy, Italian banks were some of the biggest gainers over in Europe. On the U.S. economic front at 8.30, retail sales and PPI. At 10 o'clock, business inventories. At 10.30, energy inventories. And at 2 p.m., Fed releases Beige Book. In other news, PBI Energy filed for Chapter 11. And the Fed and the FDIC said five big banks lack credible living wills. After the Bellas Night Rail, CSX sees Q2 hurt by a strong dollar. And regarding earnings this morning, J.P. Morgan beat. Shares are higher by 2.8% pre-market. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Seagate and Wynn Resorts cut to Hull versus buy over at Deutsche Bank. Clovis Oncology cut to neutral at J.P. Morgan. Sprint cut to underway to Pacific Crest. And finally, Computer Sciences and Marathon Oil cut to a marketable form over at Wells Fargo. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? Thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Big movements in currency as well. I want to make that clear. Yen weaker, euro weaker. 114 and change all the way down to 112.99. Uh, 18-hour romp weaker for the euro dollar. Fractionally stronger. I don't want to make too much about it, but... A big shift there. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Markets may be volatile, but Invesco's value managers are finding high conviction opportunities. Find out where at Invesco.com slash interactive. Skip York with us and, and with Woods McKenzie. And the, the big idea here is collegial differences of opinion on where oil's heading. We all know that oil's the toughest thing to predict, but a terminal value 7080 gets your attention. Skip York, what does lower for longer mean to you? Well, we think that the lower for longer means that we're going to be sort of the range trading in the 40, in the 40s and into the 50s. Uh, if you think all the way back to 2015, you know, we've been sort of in that 50, sub $50 range for, you know, approaching 15 months. We think we're going to go through 16. So it's going to be two years where oil prices are going to be half of where they were before the correction. And that's, that's a long period of time for this market to, mm-hmm. the market typically corrects faster than that. Well, the, uh, the the development of fracking and the amount of oil that was produced pushed these prices down that low. They're going to have this meeting uh, of oil producers to uh, talk about some sort of freeze. Iran will be there, maybe. Russia will be there. Saudi Arabia will be there. But Chesapeake Energy won't. Devon Energy won't. Sandridge isn't going to be there. So uh, what what guarantee can there be that if prices don't, if prices rise a little bit again, everybody comes back into it. Yeah, I think when you when you look from a U.S. perspective, the 
if you get in oil prices into the 50 to 55 dollar range, you know we've got 15 billion barrels of resource that's economic. Uh, and if you kind of think of a, ra- a reasonable drilling program, that's you know increasing production three and a half to four million barrels a day over a three to four year period. The you know that flat spot uh, is one of the uncertainties and one of the risks is what if these guys reactivate like they did in 2013 when oil prices hit $50 a barrel. Now, when we talk to the producers, uh, they sort of say two things. They say three things. One, I learned my lesson in the last boom. Uh, But from an upstream perspective, the first time they learn a lesson, the next time they learn a lesson will be the first time. Uh, The second thing they say is they're concerned about, will the banks or can I finance it? And then the third one is, can I actually get the supply chain in place? They're very worried about rig crews. The the equipment is is being cold stacked, but they sort of say that's that's a manufacturing process. We can fix that. They're really worried that they can get those high quality rig crews back and get them into the field. And so there might be issues. They may have the desire to drill at 50, but not be able to execute. And that's one of their that's what their big concern is. Well, I got to ask: Is there still equity capital out there that would enable them to finance uh, given? What's happened? Yeah, I, I think 2015 there were there were there was a lot of really clever financial engineering that went on in the upstream side of the industry. It's it's not clear what what bullets are left in the gun for for them to uh, for them to pull. The story that you hear is that there's a lot of private equity capital, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars sitting on the sidelines waiting to get in. Um, but what, once again, when you talk to the producers, they say, you know, I don't have a lot of private equity guys knocking on my door. So that money might be out there, but nobody's coming to, the, you know, nobody's doing the preset about whether or not they're interested in coming in. One of the things, and this goes back to Wood McKenzie expertise, is what shocked us all. Everybody got this wrong, I'll say with great respect for the engineering industry, is the technological progress of oil surprised us all. Is it still there? Is there going to be technological progress in five years that makes the the Skip York $80 terminal value and the Jeff Curry $55 terminal value a point of, well, it doesn't really matter because the technologies, whatever it's going to be, is going to overwhelm everybody? Yeah, I think you think back to the, you know, to the hydraulic fracturing and the horizontal drilling, just, you know, what's happened in the last five years. And we still really don't understand the science of just how far that technology can go. When you when you talk to the upstream guys, I think if anything, they think the rate of technological improvement might be accelerating uh, from where it's been. It's always been an impressive science uh, and engineering feats of what they do. They now think that it, you know, we might be sort of on sort of an accelerating path. In particular, I think the two places they're looking for is if you look at the tight oil drill wells that deplete so fast, mm-hmm. what if there's a way that we can enhance that oil recovery and make those tails fatter? Uh, and we right. think the onshore guys think that's the next big thing. The offshore guys are all trying to figure out, you know, what's the right. next big thing that they can do. 30 seconds, not even that, 20 seconds. Are you concerned about Petrobras's ability to be an ongoing concern in Brazil? You know, the, I think that company has really weathered a storm when you just sort of think of the political turmoil and the social turmoil in in uh, Brazil. It's been amazing that, that how well they've done, but I think the longer this goes on, the the, okay. the environment they're in, the longer that it goes on, the harder and harder it's going to be for them to be 
uh, to execute. Terrific briefing. Skip York is with Woods McKenzie on oil, as we heard from Don Strauss. I'm on China uh, earlier. Futures up 11, Dow futures up 87. Economic data. You think it's important? Next, Michael McKee with that. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond. 